the optimal life. So you're the son of a bookie. That must, have, that must have been a, a very interesting experience, to say the least. What, what was the first memory that you have when you realized, hey, my father is in a business different from most people? I was watching a football game with him. The New York Giants were playing the Los Angeles or St. Louis Rams at the time. It was 1959, 58. I'm rooting for my home team, the New York Giants. The game, they're um, losing by two points. The end of the game, last 30 seconds, they're coming down, they're marching down the field. They get stopped, but they can kick a field goal. Three seconds, two seconds, hike the ball. My dad jumps up. I'm rooting for the home team to make this kick. My dad jumps up in front of the TV and goes, miss it, miss it, miss it. <laughs> and I and quick is good. They win. I'm happy. I look at my dad and he just looks away. And I went, what? Huh? I was perplexed. Um, and it was the cornerstone of trying to understand you know as a little kid it was you know I, my my heart was on the line right and um my dad didn't want to squ uh, squelch my enthusiasm or my love of the team but there was um ten thousand dollars on the line ten large and that's um 10 large is bookie parlance for $10,000, about $95,000 in today's currency. Mm. <laughs> How so, old were you at that time, Stephen? About eight or nine. Eight or nine. Somewhere, somewhere in that vicinity. And so it was like innocence lost and trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> you know, all this uncertainty, because I grew up in a world of uncertainty. Um, and it was a roller coaster. See, at the end of the day, even though he lost that game, by the end of the day, he'd actually won back that money. He was a big time bookie. The bookies take bets and make odds. He made the money back and won more. And then the next day, it repeated itself. So it was a world of uncertainty. Mm. Um, and, and, and at the same time, it was a masterclass for handling and mishandling uncertainty, which is just what I deal with on a daily basis with executives and leaders and entrepreneurs and all our lives. How, how did that impact you guys as you went into your teenage years, as your father was living that lifestyle? Do you do you recall how that had an impact on you emotionally? Uh, did, physically, mentally, did it did it take a toll, or did you were you kind of still numb and blind to it? No, I wasn't numb and blind. I knew what was going on. Uh, it was the the intensity is still affecting my brain. <laughs> so, so the um, when you say the intensity, are you talking about the 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 highs, the super highs, and the super lows? Um, when you saw your father, for example. You saw him probably in the highest of highs at times. Yeah. And then some of the, and as fast as it was high, it could be that quickly low. Another missed field goal, an extra point. 
roller coaster. Yeah. So those highs and highs and lows and lows, that intensity of it, you were very aware of what was going on. Now, would he would he share with you openly? Hey, yeah. he would share it. Yeah, yeah. No, my dad was a great man. He was a great guy. He was, you know, um, a lot of people um, um, look um, down on people who are engaged in gambling and bookies and those kinds of things, but. You know, he wasn't part of the mob. He was, we could say he was mob adjacent. <laughs> you know, the, there was a lot of gambling. Um, but we used to be, the downtown guys would bet on sports games and the uptown guys would invest in stocks. Mm. <laughs> you know? Okay. And so we used to look at it and say, well, you know, we're, it's true. He, my dad didn't want me to go into the family business. Let's be clear about that. You know, so I the whole story of my becoming a neurostrategist stems from my dad didn't want me to go into family business, and I discovered uh, how brains solve these kind. The our brains are actually designed to resolve uncertainty, and so it was like a a perfect training ground for understanding and being able to navigate through that. And you know, it's like what I, my dad wasn't just only. Uh, a bookie, he had several, he was an entrepreneur before they even, you know, before people use the term, right? Right. Uh, and he was, he had a lot of businesses and some of the stories that happened in the business actually ended up forming how I became uh, a neurostrategist. I'm glad to tell you that. Or yeah. Go along. So your father wanted you uptown. He clearly wanted you to be joining the uptown boys. He didn't want me involved. He knew that there was a lot of that he wanted to keep me away from the bad guys. Mm, yeah. Well, and, and like there you mentioned, bad guys around. What you know? like you mentioned just before too, uh that uh that this kind of set the stage at a young age, nine, ten years old into your teenage life. This was really setting the stage for the rest of your life professionally on the work that you've gotten into. So uh confronting uncertainty and being able to adapt. Was your father good at finding patterns or? In fact, so, so the story that, that my, my dad owned an Italian restaurant and pizzeria as well. And it wasn't called Feinberg's pizzeria, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it was great pizza and great. Uh, uh, maybe Feinberg. Stuff. Hey, maybe Feinberg's deli. It would have had a better ring to it. So it wasn't a Feinberg, uh, a Jewish Italian deli. And I'm a Jewish guy, so you know. Yeah, me too. Um, and um, he one day, you know, like in my late teens, he said to me, um, "Take a ride with me. I have to go over to Joey's, the vendor for all the foodstuffs," and he he. Uh, confided in me that the business was hurting. It was during an economic downturn. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. <laughs> you know, I played basketball. <laughs> right. Um, and he confided in me that he might have to turn, you know, like let some people go or maybe even close the business. And even my college tuition was on the line. Mm. I was going to go to school next, college next year. And we get to, to uh, Joey's. 
And my dad says, sit over there. And he looks at Joe. He says, can I can I have a word with you, Joe? And he goes, sure, Sam. And they go. And, and Joe was a tough, tough negotiator, really tough negotiator. And he goes into the back room. And they, they're there for a few minutes. He comes out. Um, and so I had to go, Dad. You know, and he, he goes, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. I need a glass of water. And he's and he just turned back into the room, closed the door behind him. Five, 10, 15 minutes passed, nervous. You know, my my college is dis, you know, all I could think about was my narrow concerns. And I thought about the families and the people who work there as well, but mostly you know, myself at the time. Um and he the next time he walks out of the office, he goes, kisses the back of his right hand. And then the back of his left hand raises his arms up and he goes, there's no one better than me. (laughs) And he laughed. I laughed. The um, you're chuckling right now. And the ultimately the um, the business was saved. The jobs were saved. and My college tuition was saved. And I knew winning like we were talking about winning and losing games. And I understood that. But this was something different. This was triumph, and I wanted to know more about that triumph. And I spent the most of my career trying to figure out what he did behind those closed doors that made it work out. And what made it work out was his ability to pattern and adapt. When you can see the patterns, you can make predictions. Okay, so give and us an example. Would, what do you mean when you say patterns? Use that example with your father. What patterns did he recognize in that situation? Well, he first went in and he would just try to get better prices for himself. That was a, pa- a classic pattern. You know, hey, let's negotiate. Give me some better. I need better prices, et cetera. But he wasn't. But Joey wasn't willing to do it for one person. Right. It was that was the, the dynamic, the interaction. So what he did was my dad looked at what was going on and realized what the game was a, a game is a pattern of interactions in which there's a story uh, on a game board with rewards rules and outcomes and so he realized that this game this pattern was occurring and he saw that he needed to change his pattern of just trying to get negotiating the, a particular way and just for himself and what he did was he broadened his view from this narrow view of just getting better prices for myself. He realized that he had a network of other restaurateurs. Like in New York City, there was like 25 restaurants, you know, who sold similar kinds of stuff that this particular vendor, foodstuffs, Italian salamis and cheeses and sauces that he could provide for him. And so my dad looked at this pattern and he, and he moved from being a competitor to a cooperator long before anyone people started to talk about that. And he looked deeply into this pattern and adapted what he was doing and offered Joey, said, I can connect you to all these people and you can give me better prices and them better prices and for that. Joey was winning because he saw it as a win-win-win. And so what my dad had in common with all the people, and you asked me about adapting, with 
you know, like I work with senior executives and astronauts from my my before to my books written by an astronaut and um, tap Apple CEO and eBay CEO, uh, executives and uh, folks from both public and private. The, the number one, in my book, there's the number one uh, teacher of the year and uh, top uh, chief of police in, in the country. And so what they haven't, what is my dad, big time bookie dad have in common with them is they're all first adapters. The first adapter is someone is not a first adopt, is not an early adopter. An early adopter is someone who takes on a um, uh, early ad adopting a product or service or an offer, right? They go jump. It's like people out sitting out. You usually find them sitting outside in sleeping bags outside of Apple <laughs> as they're coming in, right? These are the early adopters. First adapters are able to see the game board. They do three things and they're able to see this game board and they, in their brain, they may not even take action immediately. So that they, but they see what's lining up and they're able to see the pattern to make predictions, adjust that pattern, adapt to it, and then um, be able to influence people. And we can talk You mentioned the that. book, Do What Others Say Can't Be Done, Play the Metagame. We'll link it here in the show notes. So let's get into those first, those three, and then we'll pivot to some other things that you're doing as well. Yeah. You say first adapters play the metagame. Talk to us about those three things. The first one, game spotting to see hidden game boards. Right. What does that mean? So the, the, let me just lay out what these, these three things that they all do are game spotting, pattern busting, and frame setting. Game spotting is they're able to see the game board. So my whole life was looking at what what's the game? What's going on? It's a field of play. It's usually it's being able to see almost like being in a helicopter, looking at the vantage point, looking at the field of play, seeing what the players are doing, understanding. It's kind of like and the, the prototypical example of this example of this is Sherlock Holmes. He understood he was looking at the game, the game board, right? This this field of play. So we all in all our lives, whether or not you're a parent or a teacher or a um, executive or an entrepreneur, there's a game board that you're playing on. And it's being able to see both the real, the one that you, the givens, as well as the hidden ones that have been operating. But so what kind a, of mindset do you have to put in place? Because that's a very hard thing for a lot of people to do, Stephen, right? Is actually, wait a second, I, I'm only seeing what's in front of me. How do I train my brain to broaden the scope and see what other people are doing as well. It's, and the example of being a, in a helicopter is to step, literally it's what's called going meta, being able to step back and look at what you're, what you're looking at. So it's stepping out of it, walking away, or getting a different vantage point to be able to see. The vantage, having a vantage point is incredibly important. Being in a, a commanding vantage point doesn't mean you know the right answer. It means you can see the, the the forces at play. Who's saying what? Who's doing what? How are they going about doing it? If Looking you're a teacher, for example, example, because you mentioned teacher, Stephen, a teacher, what kind of game board? Give a prototypical example of what a teacher may be playing with. Well, the teacher has both. She has a classroom, right? 
and, or he, she or he have their classrooms. And in the classroom, they have all the behaviors of each of the kids that they're trying to bring out the best in the kids. I think teaching is a noble profession, by the way. And so they're trying to elevate those kids. Then they have the influences of, if you're talking about elementary school, the influences of their parents and their concerns and objectives. So they're, so great teachers are dealing with their kids, but they understand that there's the parent, you know, most of them are parents also. So they're understanding the, the influences and the effects on the kids and, and the behaviors. So the, the really great, my wife was a teacher for 20 years and she taught ways to elevate the social and emotional understanding along with reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? It's be able to do all that to bring out the best in their child because no one wants more, you know, they want their kids to be the best. They want them to have greatness in their life. And so you're looking at, as a, uh, as a teacher, that it's how do you navigate this? And then you have all the political stuff in the schools. You have the soup, you have the, the principal and you have the, the school board and you have and all these factors are impinging upon the teacher's decisions. Right. I, I would. <laughs> here's a, a funny example. So I for a long time, I lived in Palo Alto, California, and the, I was asked to be on a panel for new teachers. So I was a parent, but I had my profession. But I, I was brought in and the teachers would ask me questions. The, and the, a lot of them were high school teachers. And they'd go, why do all these kids have to get A's? <laughs> Every kid has to get an A. And I said, there's one reason and one reason only. The real estate prices. Parents pay millions of dollars to live in this community. This is a good school. You're great teachers. But they are nervous about their investment. Yeah. And that they return on their investment. And they, you know, the teachers who are dedicated to education, who are dedicated to, you know, helping their children and their kids become the best they can be and expand themselves, they were like dumbfounded by that answer. And yet, it's the underlines, the hidden game board of what was driving a lot of the behavior. You, know, mm. you got to get into a good school. Right. That was, that's the game board. That's the game board. Okay. So that's the game board. There's a lot of different dynamics. It's not one sided. It's not one size. There's a lot of different factors at play is what you're saying. You have to step back, step out of it and recognize as best you can, all the things that you don't see that are making an influence on what you do see. Right. So it's like, you have to look at the, remember there's rules, rewards, and objectives. So part of the way you can do is what's the rules, what's the rewards, what's the objectives to get here. And then as you that helps you be able to see, to do what you said before, go being able to step back and see what it is. What who's getting who what's the payoff for this behavior? Okay, so those are the first adapters. We're playing the metagame. Spot the game board. There it is. Okay, what's next? Pattern busting. Pattern. So once you can see. You know, the first part, the game, the game spot is about pattern recognition, you know, developing your pattern recognition skills. Once you can see the game board, once you can see the pattern, you can make predictions. But then you have to be able to adapt. And adapt is not the same as adjust. Adjusting is accommodating to the status quo. Adapting is taking it to the next level. 
finding new ways. But, you know, I like my dad in that example where he found the, he could the adjustment would have been giving a little bit about um, the pricing that he was going for originally, you know, just get the best for himself. But he adapted to the game board and found a way to make a recommendation, to make an offer that. The, right. Because you're saying that the typical pattern was, Hey, you're too small. I'm not really, Lose, I'm not reducing my prices for you. Exactly. And that was the game going back and forth. And your dad right. said, I've got to bust this pattern right. and come up with a different strategy. Right. Like Serena Williams is the prototypical person, example of a pattern buster, right? She makes it, adapts things, sees the parameters, changes the rules of the game, changes the way things are happening and, and, and exceeds, you know, as a consequence, they're really great. They are great performers. Back to the teacher Steph example. What, what would Curry. Be? Steph Curry shoots three, you know, changed the game of basketball totally. What would be an example of a pattern buster? And back to your wife or the teacher example, since we, we were focusing on that in the first one, what would be a typical pattern buster there? Um, so my, my wife used to say to the, to her students, she had fourth and fifth graders and she, they, she'd say, um, you know, the kids would come, you know, what they were studying. She said, go grow a dendrite. <laughs> you know, it's like she had this message to for the brain, go grow, just go learn something. It was is learning by doing, right? Is the being able to get hands-on, have experience, collaborating with each other, you know, rather than everyone goes off in their own little rather area. than reading a, a paragraph and expecting to understand it in practicality. Right. Interesting. Okay, so you've got the pattern busting to defy expectations. And when you say that, what exactly do you mean by defying expectations? So in my book, the forward to the book that um, was written by a two-time space shuttle pilot on the space shuttle Endeavor to the International Space Station. His name is uh, Greg, wrote um, this um intro and in the book itself he describes a situation in which he talking about gregory johnson here from your notes Greg johnson yeah who's a great guy most down-to-earth person i've ever met <laughs> you know this is guy who goes to, to the international space station an astronaut goes off leaves the planet but he's the most regular guy i know he i'm a yankee fan he's a houston rockets fan houston astros fan he says to me you know Stephen, we talk every couple of weeks. He said, you know, Stephen, we can't talk when the Yanks play Houston. <laughs> you know, it's like we can't right, do right. it. He's one of those guys, yeah. He's a regular Who's guy. Who's your favorite Yankee of all time, Stephen? My favorite? Mickey yeah. Mantle. Mickey Mantle. He doesn't even hesitate, folks. You hear that? That just rolled right off the tongue. You didn't even think about it. That's what right. about what about? I thought you were going to say Derek. I have Yankee, I have Yankee paraphernalia all around my office. Yeah. I thought you were going to go with Derek Jeter, but that's maybe a little more my generation. My my Derek Jeter is my son's favorite. He used to wear number two. I Derek, my dog's name was Jeter. So I'm not that's funny. You know, I'll tell you something real uh, real briefly. Uh, I I'm in Cleveland, and okay. Derek Jeter's first game ever was actually snowed out. There was snow in Cleveland. This was whenever it was back in the '90s, I think. And I'm a young kid at the so we go to the next game. We got tickets, and uh, we're sitting behind uh, the home plate. 
And this kid, Derek Jeter, nobody knows, comes up to bat, hits a home run right over left field. First at bat ever in Cleveland Indian Stadium. Right. And two seats down from me, this whole group of people crying and jumping and screaming. We're in Cleveland. And lo and behold, it was his mom. Mom. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, his, dad, and his dad Kalamazoo. couldn't, his dad couldn't make Kalamazoo. it because he had a, I'm sorry? They're from Kalamazoo, Michigan, so they probably were close enough to. Yeah, and, and his father was at the first game, I think, but then it got snowed out. He had to get back to work, so it was like the mom, the cousin, the aunt. It was it was pretty wild. It ended up being Derek Jeter. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a great story. It really is. So, anyways, Derek, okay. and, Derek and and Steph Curry, they're cut from the same cloth. You know, they're uh, they are they know how to engage, be social, connect, have talent beyond compare. Just great. Let me go back to this example with Greg. So Greg is Greg's in the um, simulator, which is the 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 uh, testing puppets uh, simulator, where they practice thousands of hours to be able to fly the space shuttle. And he the he comes out of the space shuttle and he says to the trainer, "He said, can we do a loop?" Like turn the space shuttle over on the landing and just flip it, and the trainer goes, "You can't do that." Now this is in the space shuttle, so there's a lot of safety. Obviously, they can do it, but you know they they crash a lot of things in the space space shuttle practicing to figure out what what they could do, you know, in those dire circumstances. So you can't do that, and Greg goes, "Oh, really?" Jumps back in the space shuttle. See, understands the pattern, looks at the numbers, looks at cap, makes some calculations, and flips the, the space shot on lands. He comes out smiling. The trainer says, okay, hot shot. And then he, Greg says, how about twice? He said, come on, you can't do that. So Greg goes back in, figures out, he's figuring out, you know, he's calculating things. Very smart guy. He's calculating movement and range and speed and Goes back in once, two, twice, does it and comes out. And he's smiling, you know. And he goes, "Okay, hot shot. That's enough." And, and it wasn't. Greg wasn't being insolent. I want to be clear. He was completely respectful of the training. He really liked his training. He was. He's a terrific relation connection to someone. But he was someone who questioned the givens, and questioned the patterns. Question and so. Then Greg said, how about three times? And the guy just shook his head. And Greg turns to the astronaut standing next to him, and they start laughing with each other. So that's, the, that's, that's an example of defying expectations. That's defying a expectations. prime example. And, and there's no such thing as can't. I mean, that's really the moral of the story. Just because somebody or some group or people are saying, you can't do something, this is not possible. That doesn't mean that that's always true. And, and Greg proved it in that example. That's right. The final one, frame setting to influence others. Yeah, so frame setting is about um, like Gandhi influencing the people, all the people in India and the British government. It's the power to set the frame to get people to agree to your ideas. So it's being able to frame an argument to change decisions to be able to understand how you do a frame is like a lens in which you see things, how you're going to see them. We all, we all operate under the influence of a frame and whatever that frame might be, 
you're making decisions within that 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 frame. And like I said, you know, the the it's we all are doing this. I just use the example of Mahatma Gandhi because it's a, a icon that, that people's brains can grasp onto right away. Interesting. Very interesting stuff. So those are the three things, the three major themes from your book. We mentioned the book. Talk right. to and, us. Uh, and, Go ahead. and just so those three things roll up into what I call strategic agility. And that's the ability to unlock the game of patterns in your favor. So you want to develop your strategic agility. The person with the most adaptability wins more often. Mm. And the agility, having that agility to be able to, people are going to say no, people are going to give you different points of view, but it's usually it's that you have to rewire the game board. It's being able to see the game board differently. So these are things that you're clearly helping your clients with uh, in your consulting practice. But one thing you also focus on too, uh, slightly pivoting here, is this thing called the shutdown syndrome. What exactly is that? So the, the shutdown syndrome is in the brain. There's a tendency under certain conditions to um, not to shut down your your thinking, to reduce down your thinking. I call it the game of threats. So, for example, when you play small, your brain is shutting down. When you play one up, and you're starting to be aggressive unnecessarily. You, you're being reactive to the situation. When you're being uh, conflict avoidant, right? Those are shutdown syndromes. And in the book, I talk about there's 12 shutdown games that people have, and you can identify yourself inside that. And what what kind of risks are associated? Where, where could shutdown syndrome lead to? Well, you're, you're, there's a threat, right? So you, the brain is trying to manage its threat management. It's trying to th threat. And so the, when you shut down, it's your inability to adapt. So we were talking about being the first adapter. Well, shutdowns is the inability to adapt to the situation, to the game board, so that you can be great. So you play small. You play less than. You um, keep repeating the same pattern over and over again. You know, I, I say that the road to hell is paved with mishandled interactions. Right? So, like, so when you shut down, you're just stuck inside this cycle, or like uh, Groundhog Day. You know, and that's that, that's got to be very hard for people to spot themselves. Correct? Yeah, it's typical unless you're onto yourself or have a, a roadmap to be able to see. That's why I provided that in the book is is, is clear descriptions of what these this game of threats is and it's it's typically you are reacting and playing small and staying within the status quo there's usually uh, i asked all these executives and entrepreneurs and both profit and non-profit what's the number one foe and this is how i came up with the shutdown syndrome and the number one foe turns out to be a triple-headed dragon and the triple-headed dragon is criticism mediocrity and staying within the familiar. Those three things, criticism. So when you get criticized, someone criticizes you, you start to pull back, you shut down. Or, you, or you're critical, you start to being criti overly critical. There's nothing wrong with having critical thinking. I want to be clear that when it's not what we're talking about. There's being critical where you're dismissive of other people or the situations because you're not seeing the game board. 
So there's criti- criticism, uh, mediocrity. When you're not playing big, when you're not playing, you know, like the thing that I'm was most interested in is greatness. How do people get to be great? You know, they often ask, execs often ask, what do I have to do differently to be great in high stakes situations where high uncertainty? And so if they're playing mediocre, oftentimes you can see that they're pulling back, they're compromising too soon. You How do you answer that? What do you answer? I know you're kind of saying it, but what, what kind of response do you give those folks? For, for which question? The ones that are saying, how, how do I go from good to great? So these three things. I t- well, first I say you need to develop your strategic agility, right? The power to unlock the game of patterns to be in your favor and to, to these actions are to pattern game spotting, pattern busting, and frame setting, and the skill sets to do that. And you want to raise their sense-making guidance system. In our brains, we're always trying to make sense of situations. And so how do you raise that inner guidance system? So that's what I do when I work with people. But when somebody says, hey, I feel like I'm afraid maybe I've been playing too small. How do you get them to start playing bigger? What are some of the things you haven't put into place? Well, for example, one of the first things is we we examine how it is that they're playing too small. How what is it that they do? How do they understand and what would playing big mean? Right. And so now we have a contrast between playing small, playing, and what's holding you back. What's the story in your brain? What's that's diminishing you? Right. That's holding. What is it that you're afraid of? And is it? And is that story true? Mm. Is that story an actuality, a reality? How often, Stephen, is the story not true? More often than not. That's a very good spotting on your side. It's it's these these limitations that we put on ourselves are um, frequent, and um, they diminish your spirit. Right? It's like I watched Steph Curry the other day. He was playing golf. He was at a golf tournament, right? The great basketball player. Someone ha- He's walking down the fairway, and someone throws him a basketball. And over the crowd, there's a crowd about 30 or 40 feet dense with people. There's a basket. And Steph, they throw him the basket. He hasn't warmed up at all playing basketball. Turns around, fires the ball. Swish. All net. Over 30 feet, over 30 or 40 feet on all these people and he's like joyful he's joyful and then later that in the in the tournament he hits a hole in one yep this guy's playing on another plane right he's he's fully connected to this his capacity you know look steph curry practices a lot some people think well he guys got lucky no he practices he's doing all the necessary like some people have tried to go out and do the the um, training regimen that Steph Curry uses. And the, the, these are professionals, and they say they can't keep up with him because wow. he's really doing it at a level that makes all of us, that he earns his greatness, and he does it with joy. And that's what's so remarkable. Well, he must be employing some kind of elevated neuro strategy because it's more than just physical. Yeah. And that's, again, that's kind of all encompassing to what you do. You are a neurostrategist. You're an executive consultant. What exactly is neurostrategy? So neurostrategy is the field of brains, games, and foes. So I look at what's the relationship between games, 
the, how their brain cut, makes meaning out of this, and the foes, what they're up against. At, so, so to identify patterns to create the exceptional so they can be great. Mm. And that's what happened behind those closed doors with my dad. That's what I was trying to figure out. What happened behind there? How did he do it? And sudden death situations again and again and again. He figured out a way to un to change the pattern. He was a first adapter. Game um, <clears throat> game winning game decisions, like game making decisions that change the game. It's like pivot, 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 you know, adapt, adapt. If this doesn't work, pivot to this, pivot to this approach, use right. this method. Right. Shift. You find success. That's right. They believe the first adapters believe there is a way. So you want to know their belief is this. They may not know it. I don't know it. Sometimes I go into these really tough situations, negotiations, or people are under tremendous. I call it, say it's the situation room. I don't know the answer before I go in. But they believe there's a skill set or these what I've been talking about, that there is a way and they pursue it until they find a way to make it work. That doesn't mean they don't fail at times, but they pick themselves up and they change. They go, well, that didn't work. We have to try this. We're getting close to finishing it up. Let's finish. Let's go to this last uh, theme of your sagacity. Are you wise or otherwise, Steve? Right. So so when I was growing up on the streets of New York, one of the things one of my uh, friends said, Audrey, she used to say to me, Stephen, are you wise or are you otherwise? And it usually implied that I was being otherwise. You know, and I better smarten <laughs> up, right? And so sagacity is this term that, um, that the, the definition of it is to have penetrating insight and sound judgment to get the most out of everything you have while cooperating with people to get there and importantly, defending against the moves of your competitors or the designs of your competitors. So you're looking at this game board and you're seeing all the different ways that things are working out. So it's not like Pollyanna, just be positive. It's penetrating insight. Understand, I had one executive that I worked with and he was very smart, very capable, but he had tendency was to see the positive in people, which is, you know, like a, a great thing. I mean, this is a great thing. He's a wonderful person to be around, but he didn't see what other people were up when they were up to no good and the other execs and the other. And so he got, he lost a lot of situa in situations because these people were up to no good and he didn't see the, 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 the pattern, if you will. Right. And so I worked with him for over you know a period of time till he started seeing and he'd say, I need to be on to myself when I tend to do that, because I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt when they don't deserve it. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting. But, I, the I, other I, side I, of it is being too cynical, right? right? The other side of it is people tend to be, oh, they're always being cynical is not a strategy for creating greatness. Like everything in life, balance is critical balance finding some kind of happy medium if you're too positive and you're and it leads to this gentleman's gullibility and they took advantage of him on the vice versa if you're too negative and everything you do you're looking at the missing tile you you people don't want to work for you you demotivate. I, I had a guy uh, an, an exec that i work with and he'd start off he was a director and 
of a four of a billion dollar company, four billion dollar company, high big time uh, technical engineer, very smart, good guy. And he'd start off every conversation with the problem is mm. the problem is that and in the first 20 minutes as I was with him, I said, you said the problem is 10 times already. Do you know that that you do? I said to him, he would come to me for some executive coaching and um, and his boss wanted to get him a promotion to become a vice president. And all the executives wanted to fire him. <laughs> and they were going, how is this disconnect? Mm. Right. And so he, because he would start off every conversation with, he'd go into the meetings to with these executive staff and um and he go well the problem is da 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 and so they i said how do you think they see you how do you think you're being perceived by the the ceo and the cio and the cfo and, and so on chief marketing person and he go well they think i'm a problem solver i went they actually see you as a problem maker because i was looking at the game board listening to your language and I said, your language suggests they're the problem. Mm. That they, every time, because they, 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 he lays the problem on this, he says, how come we're always, we ended up having more problems as a consequence of this guy. Or That's amazing. Think we're solving things. Or we're up to no good. Or whatever it might be, right? And so he went, he didn't realize that he was being so negative. Right. He had no idea. He, I said, how do you feel? I think I'm solving problems. Wow. He genuinely thought that. It was the exact, so pattern busted, the exact opposite of what you think you're doing or what you need is oftentimes. Yeah, that's, very, that's very challenging for people too, to not have that social awareness and emotional intelligence to actually know how you're being perceived. Sounds like this guy was exactly that. Where is he now? He's a vice president of. Uh, in a, so he changed, he, he turned things around with your advice. Oh, totally. They got promote. He got the promotion once that's he did great. it. That's he got right. the promotion. Uh, Steven Feinberg, PhD. This is a fascinating stuff. Like I said, we've mentioned uh, the book, uh, Do What Others Say Can't Be Done. Play the metagame. That has been linked in the show notes. Where else do you want people to find you, Steven, online, social media, et cetera? So you can go to my website. You can go to LinkedIn or my website, Stephen at uh, StephenFeinberg.com, S-T-E-V-E-N. Feinberg is F as in family. E-I-N is in Nancy B as in boy, E-R-G.com. And you can go there and take a free assessment. There's a free assessment, a, a first adapter scorecard. So it evalu- in nine questions, it evaluates your ability to spot the game. Three questions on that. Three questions on pattern busting will evaluate your ability to pattern bust. And three questions on frame setting. And it comes out with a score to show you how you compare to the best of the best and what you can do about it. It begins to suggest some ideas. And there's a free assessment there on my website. And, you know, if they want to contact me. Beautiful. Beautiful. And we'll make sure that we link that in the show notes, guys. Click the links if you want to learn more about Stephen, his his company, his book. Uh, Fantastic stuff. Really fascinating. Continued success to you. I really appreciate this today. I've really enjoyed it. A lot, Nate. And, you know, like I always say, fortune favors first adapters.